Well, it's good to be here this morning, and um, grateful to be able to preach. And uh, the funny thing was, I thought I had a different topic, and God has a great sense of humor. I thought I had love His kindness, be cheerful and encouraging. I went to prepare the sermon. I said, oh, shoot, I got patience. Having self-control in difficult situations. So God just has a way of saying, uh, how about we go here now? Um, I want to share with you, uh, just at the beginning, kind of where I've been at here the last uh, six months. I know you've seen me here, but you don't know what's been going on, and, and uh, inquiring minds want to know. But, uh, you know, this is the last sermon I preached while I was going through a tough time. In uh, February, I think it was 6 or 4, I think it was 6, it was a Wednesday, and it was ongoing from strength to strength, and I only had one point in the sermon, and this sermon would not stop preaching from that day forward. That was the point. And so the last uh, six months I've been embracing weakness on a level I never have before. As a Christian, I'll be 25 years in the faith here on the 12th of September. And um, boy, I, this, I call it the sermon that wouldn't stop preaching uh, to me. But I'm grateful for it. Uh, this here is uh, the canyon uh, behind my house. It's not very attractive, as you can tell. But I've spent many hours down at the bottom. It's like a... a Water runoff canyon, that's why they have that little concrete gutter. I'd walk on down there and sit down at the bottom uh, for hours and hours and hours and hours. Not all in one sitting, Karina. It wasn't all at once. But uh, in many little bits and pieces. And uh, as I was hurting at different times throughout the day or the week or the moment or a situation, in my mind I said, I want to go back to the canyon. I can't, you know, I'd kind of see the canyon in my mind and i go, that's really where I want to be right now with God. And so uh, I've been in the canyon uh, the last uh, four, four months. Um, I call it the journey in the desert, but I've been in the canyon. And I'm really grateful for this time. It's been patience training. And uh, I want to ask, are you a patient person? That's a loaded question. Some of you are mellow and laid back, and that helps in patience. But are you a patient person? And I think everybody would answer the question... It depends. Because all of us have different levels of patience, but put in the right situation, let's say with your spouse or your children or on the freeway or with your boss that is irritating or whatever, 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 or you're tired or you're sick or you're financially strapped or, you know, can I just pick something? Then everybody gets impatient. Even the guy that you go, he's laid back. He's calm and cool. You know, Leonardo da Vinci was painting his masterpiece, The Last Supper, and he said that when I would pause the longest in between my sessions of painting, I would then go on to make the most telling strokes with my brush. And patience is power in reserve. So, all of us have power in reserve in certain areas and very little in others. I wouldn't say I'm naturally a patient person, so God, uh, I'm going to relate to you that are weak in this area as well, uh, that I'm preaching out of a place of weakness. So what have I been doing in the canyon? Well, God really brought it to my attention on multiple fronts that I was moving too fast, doing too much, not being patient and humble enough with my wife and kids, the most important people in my life, and with the people around me, and uh, that I was not listening enough and slowing down enough 
to get help from Michelle, the Marichis, the elders, and others around me, and I neglected my wife and my kids. And I just kept working and working and working and working. They were hurting and hurting and hurting, trying to help and help and help while working and working, and everybody was hurting, including myself. I just wasn't in touch with my feelings, um, which is common. In touch with anger, that's an easy one. But the other range, touch with happiness, but the other ones I've, I've had to get in touch with. And, um, you know, it's definitely not what I wanted. God just took me on an exit ramp fast. And it's not what I wanted. I wouldn't have ordered it on the menu. But it's exactly what I needed and need and still in process and working on. And it got me into the canyon. It's kept me in the canyon. It wants me to go back to the canyon. And um, it's been patience training. Uh, a verse that really ministered to me a lot uh, during this time was Psalm 13, verse 2. It said, how long, and there's about seven times in the Psalms where the psalmist says, how long, O Lord, must I wrestle with my thoughts and have sorrow every day in my heart? That's kind of how I felt there from Psalm 13, verse 2. I went, exactly. That's exactly how I feel. Here's some things I've learned. I have more than six months of sermons. I'll share with you very vulnerably what I've learned on a personal level. I don't mind. Um, It's been great. It's been humbling. I've learned a lot about God's been teaching me patience, about His unconditional love for me and my need to have it for my family and for others. I've learned a lot about my frustration level and where it comes from. And God's trying to teach me patience there. I've learned a lot about... He's trained me about resentment. That I go from impatient to frustrated to resentful. And I can even do it without getting verbally loud. I went through... I struggled with deep feelings of failure where I took it personally, not just properly. And that took a lot to wrestle through. I went through a depression... I've never been in a depression before. I've had depressed days and, you know, broke up with a girl once and was depressed for a while in high school. No, early college, you know, the song comes on the radio and the tears just started flowing. (laughs) You know. But um, I was in a depression. I couldn't get out of it. Couldn't sleep. I'm not telling you this to feel sorry for me. I'm telling you this to say I can relate with some of you in your struggles didn't want to ride my bike anymore, didn't want to eat, couldn't sleep. I felt helpless in the sense of, God, you're bringing this, you're doing this, and I can't even really do a whole lot about it. Never felt so much deep sadness in my life that I couldn't shake. Felt confusion. Struggled with high levels of anxiety right in here at different times. I struggled with deep insecurity I didn't even know was in me. I struggled with a lot of pride on a lot of levels. And I even understood why I was so driven the way I was, even in, even, even in unhealthy ways. I struggled with my anger. I struggled with God trained me to understand how my past has affected me. And, and probably one of the biggest lessons was me understanding grace. The effect of understanding God's grace in my life. And I read a book called Healing Grace that somebody recommended and he talked about there's grace in the head, and then there's visceral grace, grace in the gut. He said a lot of Christians have 
intellectual grace, where they understand God loves me, God likes me, God believes in me, God's for me, God's working with me, but put you in the right situations, and it's amazing how those things can fly out the window, and I realized I was lacking visceral grace. If you would have told me that before the canyon, I wouldn't have believed you, because I had a strong case of intellectual grace. But visceral grace. And so that's been probably the most helpful to me. And offering that grace to myself, to others. There's a lot more. Um, you can ask me about anything. But thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your kindness. Um, Danielle told me at one point, Dad, what happened to you? She's like, I can see it in your eyes. I said, what? She goes, you lost your mojo. We're all sharing our faith. You're not. I'm like, Danielle, can I just have four months to struggle in a van? I mean, can you just cut me a break? I mean... Can I get some credit for the past and future? I mean, Dad, come on, I'm concerned. You get Your eyes are gray. You lost the mojo. Come on, Dad, get it back. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just trying right now. But patience is defined as long-suffering. And I just do want to say a, a real thank you to Michelle for her long-suffering with my weaknesses and sin. Uh, a real thank you to the elders and their love and belief in me for the last... 14 years I've been here. Thankful to Bruce and Robin and their friendship and vision and belief in me, past, present, and future. And super thankful for the Marichis who've walked with us during this time and have been so non judgmental and um, such dear friends. And I really want to say, most of all, thank you to the Wingies. I, I don't think, with, if Andy and Karina hadn't gotten with us every week, I don't think we would have gotten through it. I wasn't planning on leaving my faith. That's not what I mean. I just mean I probably would have given up. And so thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for believing in us. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for not judging us. And uh, a couple of times Andy came over on Tuesday night for deep time. And I was not eating and I was losing weight. And I was in my, big, my jackets were getting bigger. He's like, Arco, man, what's wrong with you? And I was cold, and so I'm in my fleece, just trying to cheer me up. wasn't working. wasn't working. But thank you, guys. I'll, I'll be forever indebted. Please stay out of my canyon. Uh, I want to share this, this uh, quote I found by Oswald Chambers, a famous author, that says, God engineers our circumstances as he did those of his son. All we have to do is follow where he places us. The majority of us are busy trying to place ourselves. And God alters things while we wait for Him. So God has been doing some altering in my life. And um, you know, that's what patience is. God does some altering in your life. We like to place ourselves in these fantasy places where everything goes our way and we can slide and glide. And God says, uh, no, we're going to grow you in a different direction. We're going to alter things. And you can choose to wait with me, or you can choose to go your own way. So I'm thankful that God gave me the encouragement and the support of Michelle and others to wait while he's altering. And just so you know, I'm not done growing, changing. still have some very rough edges. I'm still in progress. Okay? So just in case you see... Some of these same things. I'm working on it. 
patience. I thought this was really cool, this insight here. In Exodus 34 and verse 5, because if we're going to understand patience, we've got to understand God. In Exodus 34 verse 5, you know, God called Moses to take the people out of Egypt into the promised land and he carved with his own finger on the tablets the Ten Commandments. In a very short while, while Moses was away, they mess up big time. They get disciplined. And Moses is now getting a new set because he threw the others. He got so ticked off. He threw the others. They broke. You couldn't put them back together. So God had to make them a second set. And I love this passage as he's giving him the law again. He says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him. I don't know what that would have looked like. And he proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming this, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. I thought, what an interesting picture that of all the things that God could have chosen to describe himself, as Moses has the law in his hand, from the hand of God, God doesn't emphasize the law. Not about all the things that he could have as he proclaimed himself and the essence of who he was, he didn't proclaim the law. Even though he had just written it with his finger, and even though Moses had it in his hand, and it was a, for a very distinct purpose, and it was very helpful. It was from God. He said, what I want you to notice and note is the love in the heart. While you hold the law in your hand. And it's interesting because you fast forward a number of years. I don't know exactly how many years, but you fast forward a number of years and God's people were at it again and again and again and again and again and again, pushing God and pushing God and pushing God. And God finally said, that's it. I am taking them out. Not out to lunch, not out downtown. I am wiping them out. And Moses goes into this panic and and this entreating and this pleading with God, saying, God, please, no, don't take them out. Then people will look at you and say you're harsh and cruel and you're not real. And look how you destroyed all those millions of people that you brought out. And then Moses calls God's car. He goes, God, remember? Remember what happened when you gave me the, second, the Ten Commandments for the second time? And he says, now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you, you have declared. And he says, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Remember God? Remember? God didn't forget. He wasn't being arrogant with God and putting himself in a place he shouldn't have. He was just trying to appeal to God. The law, yes, needs to be held to. But God, you told me that love in the heart is what it's about. And then the Lord replied at this last part of the verse in verse 20, I have forgiven them as you have asked. Another little, this is a total freebie side note. Don't ever stop praying. 
because God, he changed God's mind. God would have been very loving to discipline as such. But Moses appealed to him, to the love in the heart that he emphasized, and God answered and changed God's mind. So did Ahab, so did Manasseh, so did a lot of other very wicked people, which Moses wasn't, that God changed his mind when they asked for, please, God, mercy, show me that love in the hearts. And that's the kind of premise of patience. That is the nature of God. You know, it says that no one's ever seen God. In fact, in the Gospel of John, it says no one's ever seen God, but God the one and only. So Jesus is the only one that's ever seen God. And John, the Apostle, writes this later on, long after Jesus is gone, and he says in 1 John 4, verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love, look at all the loves in this passage. Whoever does not love or is not patient, because 1 Corinthians 13, the first description of love is, love is patient. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Okay, so we can't visibly see God. Moses did. We don't know what he looked like. But we can't see God. No one's ever seen God. The only one that knows who God really is, it says, Jesus, the one and only. But he does say this. If you want to see God visibly, God is love. It puts a little different picture to how we interact with people and what they think of of God through us. It puts a little different picture to our relationships and how we treat each other. That it's not just... I like her and I don't like him and I tolerate him and I tolerate her and she burned me and he, you know, it, it puts a different picture because God is love. And he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also Ought, doesn't mean we will, but we should love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. We mature. You know, I read in a commentary once, or an illustration, that John the Apostle in his 90s would be carried into the church of Ephesus because he was elderly and old and beaten up and and, and he was, he'd be carried in by some, one of the brothers, and he was the only living apostle for many years now. And he would, people would walk up to him and want to talk to him, and he'd, and he'd say, little children, love each other. Love each other. he just kind of repeat it over and over again, and bring it up, and somehow, this is what counts. This is what works. This is what matters, is love. And the Bible says, even though no one's ever seen God, that if we love one another, God lives in us, and we're, His love's made complete in us. Here's what the word patience means. And the ability to take a great deal of punishment from evil people. You go, I have a hard time with people I live with and love. Or circumstances, ready? Ready? Without losing one's temper. This is not, just because you don't scream and wave your fists, you can lose your temper like, Argh. have you ever grunted? I've grunted before, I've been stressed. Like, Argh. Kids are like, what is that? 
without becoming irritated and angry or without taking vengeance. It includes the capacity to bear pain or trials without complaint, the ability to forbear under severe provocation, and the self-control which keeps one from acting rashly even though suffering opposition or adversity. I mean, what a great picture of patience. I mean, I would just go down this list and say, guilty, 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 guilty. I mean, so who here is patient? Even you non-talkers, really? Wow, what a challenge. Where do you get this motivation? I mean, I can be very impatient and look patient. And I can act kind and not feel very kind. And I can be polite to people, but inside going, You're an idiot! Learn to drive! Problem is, well, anyway, people probably think that about my driving too. But what a challenge. See, we think because we don't have fits of rage and we don't use the F word, or we don't throw things, we're really patient. Or because we don't use racial comments, or we don't do this, or we don't all, all the outside. But the harder part is the inside. And the harder part is the judgmental spirit that I know I just lean towards. Here, I just have one point for you to take away today. And we're going to talk today about irritation and annoyance and unforgiveness. Patience only comes... When we're conscious of God. Now, remember the last time I preached, I put, you have to brace weaknesses if you want to go from strength to strength, and then I just got put in the crock pot. Um, hopefully now with this one, I'm not going to have to find a new canyon. Patience only comes when we're conscious of God. You say, but I can't see God. Exactly. We have to go way out of our way to be aware and cognizant about how is God about this? What does God think? How does God feel? How does God look at this situation? How does God look at this person? What does God have to say? What is God thinking right now as He's listening to my inner thoughts? Have you ever had thoughts and you're like, oh boy, that was a bad thought. I'm glad nobody could read my mind. Have I been the only one that's ever done that? Okay. But you know, God can read your mind. It says, no man, you know, no one knows their inmost being. I mean, God does know it. He knows every thought. That's why we take communion every week. Amen? You know, I, I wanted to read this from a book. A man named Wes Seliger wrote in a, in a book called In One Inch from the Fence. He said, I've spent long hours in the intensive care waiting room. That's a cancer unit right there. Awaiting, people waiting for cancer treatment. Watching with anguished people listening to urgent questions. Will my husband make it? Will my child walk again? How will I live again without my companion now of 30 years? The intensive care waiting room is different from any other place in the world. And the people who wait there are different. They can't do enough for each other. No one's rude. And the distinctions of class and race disappear. A person is a father first, first, and his race is second, or he's a man second. The garbage man loves his wife in the waiting room, 
as much as the university professor loves his. And everyone understands this. Each person in the waiting room is pulling for everyone else. In the intensive care waiting room, the world changes. Vanity and pretense vanish. The whole universe is focused on that door for the doctor to come through with his report. If only it will show improvement, people think. Everyone in that room knows that loving someone else is all that life is really about. If only this writer said, could we learn to love like that if we realized that every day for every person's life is a life in the waiting room. You know, I've shared, I think, before I was in a bicycle accident. Not me, but I was in a group ride, first ride. Asked my neighbor to come with me. Never been, we never went on the group again, but I was in a, back in April of about three years ago, two years ago, and I was in the group ride, and uh, I was in the back because I wanted to, I only had prayed 15 minutes, and God doesn't listen until 30, and uh, you can't say in Jesus' name until, no, kidding. But I hadn't prayed long enough in my mind. But I was going to pray on the first part of the ride. So I normally was going to drive to the front and get better. I said, I'm going to wait in the back, put on a little Enya, and Enya and I are going to talk to the Lord. In one ear. And I was fumbling with my iPod, going, man, I better catch up. These guys are way ahead of me. I'm going to lose them. As soon as I thought that thought, a drunk driver ran right into the group. And um, hit two people. And the reason I'm just sharing that story quickly is as I walked up, I, I, I rode up because I was, it was down a hill, you know, and I showed up in like 15 seconds or five seconds. Whoosh, and I stopped and I was clipped in and I just fell over and I ran over and the guy that was hit head on ran right through the windshield. Very experienced rider, 200 miles a week. His legs were this way. I mean, he was bad. And the first thought that came to my mind as I was standing over his body and his head was on the on the sidewalk and his body in the street. Arco, why are you so, so judgmental about people? Yeah, I don't know why, but the first thought was this. Like, just love everybody. What matters? Who cares? This is it. I mean, because I was afraid. I mean, I would have been in the front and I was in the back. And I felt spared. And humbled and kind of afraid and just, you know... Just that I was right there. You know, patience shows what's on the inside. You have a slow or fast-burning fuse when it comes to love. I would say it depends. For certain people, burn, baby, burn. It can go all day. For other people... For different reasons. I'm not judging. I'm not a very patient person. Working on it. A lot of patience to be found in the canyon. But God, I'm so thankful that God's patient with me. And God's patient with you. And that should motivate us to be patient with one another. Let's talk about just two areas. We're going to talk about irritation and annoyances. And then we're going to talk about unforgiveness. You can talk about a lot of angles of impatience. 
I just thought these two were practically helpful. Proverbs 15.18 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. Are you a hot-tempered person? It depends. The Bible says when we give into that, it stirs up dissent. Everybody gets disunified. Everybody starts going after everybody. And it, happen, it can happen like the fuse. Slowly, or fast. But a patient man or woman calms a quarrel. Proverbs 19.11 A man's wisdom, if he has common, godly, common sense, gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Are you easily offended? Depends. Everybody is by somebody in certain situations. Everyone has little triggers where you're like, you go from zero to sixty when you're disrespected or when you're ripped off or when you're disregarded or when you're past, or whatever. Just for different reasons at different times and different fatigue levels. But the Bible says it's to His glory to overlook an offense. Isn't that how we want God to do with us? God, could you overlook this offense and the last offense and then the other offense and my motives, the offenses of my motives and... I'm listening to a book right now that I think I'm going to do with the singles. It's called Respectable Sins. I just listened to the... Anna Bermea turned me on to it. And I listened to it once and now I'm going back through it again. And by the time I was done, I was like, oh man, I, I pretty much sin. Just like that song, I need thee every hour. I need the blood of Christ just as much or more than when I got baptized. Because I'm sinning every minute, hour, and I need thee every hour. This last verse here about irritation and annoyances, the end of the matter, this is a great one for married couples and parents and anybody, but especially us. The end of a matter is better than the beginning. Kevin Maines would always say, Marco, see what you got here. Where do you want to be an hour from now? Start working backwards. The end of the matter is better than the beginning. And patience is better than pride. It doesn't say that we will choose patience over pride. It's harder to be patient than to be proud. But patience is better than pride. And where do irritation and annoyance all come from? Selfishness and pride. You are slowing me down. You're in my way. Why don't you pour your coffee the way normal people pour their coffee? Do you have to slurp? Chomp? Click your feet on the ground? Cops are always this way on the counter, not that way. Put the lid on the pot when... Michelle does not do this to me, okay? Just saying. I'm making these up. I'm being serious. Put the lid on the pot or you're going to splatter. Cover the stuff in the microwave. Sorry, kids. I have said some of these things to my kids. This is, these are true to life. But, you know, I mean, we can get irritated and annoyed with everybody about everything. Constantly with the soil. For a time. And then in time it goes up to the first verse. You become a hot-tempered person. The end of the matter isn't just the situation. The end of the matter is also the end of your day, 
the end of your life. Who do we want to be? How do we want to be? Loving? Or always annoyed and irritated by somebody or something because we're not getting our way Someone's stopping us from our situation or doing something we don't like. They're not conforming to our will. It bugs us. You know, I was, uh, I like to swim now, kind of. It's hard, but I like it. And uh, I was in the pool the other day. Well, at first, there's a, it's a very small locker room and it's nasty. I mean, it was like 30 years old and they haven't cleaned it since. And, uh, I mean, and I don't like germs, so I'm like, and, and there's no, the locker room, you know, there's only a certain number of lockers, and a lot of people don't bring locks. They just put their clothes in and close the locker. So I'm like, close, close. And there's like no locker. So first I'm waiting for a locker, and my swim time is going. And this older gentleman sits down on the bench, you know, half naked, eating food. This, this potpourri of stuff. Chomp. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Just get up. Go to the kitchen. Go out to your car. Go sit on the nice sunny day. It's nasty in here. You're eating and I need the bench. I can't move. I'm going to rub next to you if I move. I want a locker. Move your stuff. I mean, I'm just, but I'm trying. He's an older man. I'm trying to be respectful. I didn't say anything. But in my heart, I'm like, there goes my swim time. Seven, three, one minute, two minutes, three minutes. I'm going to end up having like three minutes in the pool. And I just felt guilty about my pride and my criticalness of, what are you doing eating in the locker room? I don't even like walking in here. But then I went into the pool and I'm waiting for a lane. It's packed. Two people, you know, it's like the 405. And, and I'm waiting there. I got my goggles on. <laughs> Finally jump in and I'm swimming and I'm sharing a lane and I keep hitting this woman's arm as we're swimming by in an accident. And, I'm, and then midway through my swim, this elderly woman gets in the middle of the lane and starts doing water aerobics. And I'm like, and I'm like, are you kidding me? The pool has an indentation for all the water aerobics folks. You know what I mean? Where you can just do this over here. And, and, and yet she was elderly and I wanted to be kind. And, but in my heart, I'm like, oh, this is bad. So I'm like, I'm hitting the one lady as I'm going by. And then I come up and I thought, she's going to move. She's going to go to her spot. And she's just... And I'm dying. So I swim. I try to get my heart rate up. Swim. But stop. You have to go around her. And, but, I mean, I remember calling Keith Rose the next day and said, Keith, uh, I just want to confess some sin. I'm seeing my pride in a lot of different areas. The guy in the locker room, the woman in the pool, the, you know, just little things. But in my heart, I wanted to get angry, judgmental, critical, prideful. Can't believe you. What's your problem? Don't you have common... You know what I'm saying? Like, just felt dirty. The pride. Okay, unforgiveness. Last part here. You know, this passage in Matthew 18, it's a story, a made-up story. It's not true. But the servant, there was a, a, a master. His servant owed him, um, in today's dollars, about $6 billion, with a B, dollars. And he went to his master, and he falls on his knees, and look what he says. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. Really? Let him go. How would you have felt six billion dollars. Even for a wealthy person, that's a lot of money. He canceled the debt and let him go. I mean, that, I mean that's not like a couple traffic tickets you got off. That's not, you know what I'm saying? That's not just something off your record. I mean, that was t- 
totally unexpected love and mercy. So you'd think that would change how he is. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him about, in today's value, $15,000. He grabbed him and began to choke him. He demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me. I will pay you back. And then the other passage talks about when the other servants saw what happened, they were ticked. God said, chop that guy into pieces. I mean, it's not a harsh story. But I think it shows God's heart. But I give you, Marco, unconditional love and unconditional And I expect you, everybody, even but as you're talking about that person, you believe they're going to pay back what they owe me. And I'm not even talking money, just respect or whatever. Just they offended you. They took from you. They took advantage of you. Pay back what you owe me. Unforgiveness and patience won't coexist. Is there anybody you haven't forgiven or you need to forgive? You better do it because Matthew 6, verse 30 says, unless you forgive your brother from your heart, God will not forgive you. Can you imagine getting to Judgment Day and God going, you wouldn't forgive people. I'm so sorry. You wouldn't let it go. But I told... No, you wouldn't let it go. You can't be patient and hold on to bitterness and grudges and resentment and, and hurt towards people. You can't change them, but you can release it from yourself. And if you need help with that, get the help. Look at this passage in 2 Peter 1, verse 5. He says, out of the Living Bible, to obtain these gifts, he's talking about growing in your faith, growing spiritually. You need more than faith. You must also work hard to be good, and even that is not enough. For then you must learn to know God better and to discover what He wants you to do. Next, learn to put aside, what? Your own desires, so that you will become patient and godly. This is really cool. Look, And gladly letting God have His way with you. This will make possible the next step. This is what we're talking about in our series. Which is for you to enjoy other people and to like them. And finally, you will grow to love them. The more you go on this way, the more you will grow strong spiritually. You become fruitful and useful to our Lord Jesus Christ. Patience only comes when we're conscious of God. Patience only comes when we're conscious of God. You know, I... Um, I'm going to share this last story and then I'm going to put a, a slide up, a, a scripture for you to meditate on here in communion. This is a uh, lighthouse off, uh, about 10 miles off the coast of Scotland. And it, uh, it, what happened was in, in about the early 1800s, 1799, about 70 ships either got stranded or sunk in this area. And so they found a young engineer named Robert Stevenson and they brought him out to the area called Bell Rock, and he believed if we could construct a lighthouse on the reefs, then maybe we can stop these ships from going down. But the problem was, the reefs were submersed about 16 feet in high tide, and only exposed in low tide about four hours a day. So this man patiently took the next four years, after taking six years to persuade the English government to do it, he took then the next four years for four hours a day. He brought his crew out there. They chiseled away at the rock. They came back in, brought him out there, chiseled away at the rock. 
until they eventually had this lighthouse called Bell Rock, still there today, still used even though there's unbelievable technology today with satellites and radio waves and all those things. They still use it today. You know, God exposes at low tide what's under our surface. And if we're willing to be patient and get in there, and during those times we're super tested and build on it, we can build something pretty mighty. And it's going to take incredible amounts of challenge and incredible amounts of patience, but what we build during that time, that lighthouse, is going to save us from a lot of disasters, a lot of stranding, and shipwrecking a lot of our relationships and people knowing God. Let's put in the work I don't have time to go through this here, but I just want to show this. Can you slip this, this whole slide? Push past the whole slide? I guess it won't go. I am. I know. There it is. I want to give you this exercise to take home. I found this. I thought it was cool. Here's how, here's a pra- how you can actually practice being patient. Um, they asked this Italian guy, which I have to go Snopesis because Italian people aren't typically patient. Sorry if you are a patient Italian. They asked him, how are you so patient and content? And he said, I have this fourfold thing I do to get to being patient. First, I look within. So are you ready? You look within. Then you look without at the person that you're feeling impatient with. Then you look to the ground that you're going to be buried in soon. And then you look up to the heavens to where your goal is. He says he looked within and he saw such guilt and unworthiness that whatever blessings balanced his afflictions, they were more than he deserved. Second, he looked without and saw those who had far many more problems than himself. And, he, and, and this made every complaint a piece of sore and gratitude to him. Third, he looked beneath and he saw the earth into which his body would soon be lowered. And when all of life's trials would once be over for all anyway. And finally, he looked above and he saw by faith his home in heaven. And this made the light affliction of the moment not worthy to be compared with the glory waiting to be revealed. And that fourfold look silenced all the murmuring and produced calm submission or patience to God's will. So where do we look first? In. Then we look out around us. Then we look down at the ground we're going to be in. And then we look up at the goal. So in, out, down, up. Now, if you're really getting heated, because I can get heated quickly. I don't know how I can do the in, out, down, up quick, quick but I'm going to work on it. I'm going to figure it out. I don't know yet. But maybe if I, maybe it's long, a long period of heated. Let me just quote, close with this quote. To lie down in the time of grief, to be quiet under the stroke of adverse fortune implies a great strength. But I know of something that implies a strength greater still. It is the power to work under stress, to continue under hardship, to have anguish in your spirit, and still perform daily Tasks. This is a Christ-like thing. The hardest thing most of us are called to exercise is patience, not in the sickbed, but in the streets. As we go into these series for the next seven weeks, let's exercise patience in the streets. Day in, day out. We're tested. Again and again, in little and big ways. And let's show people God's love. Let's pray for communion. We're going to take the bread and the juice. And I put a passage up there. 
to motivate you and to meditate on about being conscious of God. Father in heaven, thank you so much that we could take the bread and the juice. Even as much as we think we need thee every hour, we need you more. Thank you for forgiving our impure thoughts, our impure motives, our arrogance, our pride, our selfishness, our laziness, our anger, and on and on and on. God, we need you. We are so thankful for the blood of Christ. And may we be conscious of you. And when we're not, may we get back into that space so that we can be centered and grounded and be patient and show you to the world that your love and that you're all that matters. Thank you for everyone visiting today. May they want to know you from our, out of our weakness and out of our love for you. And may we be great friends to them. In Jesus' name.